Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. So we have been working through the book of Genesis. We've actually got um, one, three more talks today and two more and we're going to finish the book of Genesis. Um, We're doing the last bit in some fairly large chunks as I gave you that reading on Friday if you got that email. Genesis 42 to 45, and I'm hoping you read that, and I'm sure if you did read it, it was one of those parts of the Bible that you sort of can't put it down, because it's such a moving story there, with this picture here of what Joseph is doing. Let me get myself back here. Um, But to set the scene before we go there uh, today is this, have you ever heard this said before? Ever since Christmas of 2005... When my sister made those cutting remarks to me, I've never spoken to her since. And I've got no intentions of doing so. As far as I'm concerned, I'll never forgive her for what she said to me. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe not in those exact words, but I'm sure you've heard it through conversations with various people in various situations. Hurt? Offence and unforgiveness are really a common thing in our world today, a disastrous thing in many respects. How people can allow these offences to take place and this unforgiveness sit there and these people never talk to each other again, sometimes for the rest of their lives. We're going to see a picture of that today here, but we're going to see the picture of God's grace restoring what's taking place here with Joseph and his brothers. Have you got your Bibles? Please go to uh, Genesis 42. I'm going to read first 17 verses there, and then I'm going to go across to 45 and read seven verses from there. So Genesis 42, starting at verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognised them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognised his brothers, but they did not recognise him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, no, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. 
By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Over to 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, making ev- make everyone go out from me, so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it too. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you so many survivors. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you now that we can come and open up your word. We ask and pray, please, Holy Spirit, as we open up this narrative here of Joseph and we see this uh, really powerful scene here where there's uh, reuniting between Joseph and his brothers. 23 years after they've abandoned him, Lord, they are now being reunited. Uh, Lord, we see here a great work of your grace in in the heart of Joseph for forgiveness, but also in the hearts of the brothers here, Lord, for repentance and restoration in their own lives. So, Lord, we pray, let your spirit work that into our hearts now as we think about forgiveness in our lives. Lord, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so it's a long narrative here that we have uh, with Joseph. It's probably one of the most captivating parts of the whole Joseph story through the book of Genesis. Um, When you read through this chapter, it really is a bit like some of those novels. You just just can't put it down, particularly when you get to these few chapters here. You you sort of feel like you're this spectator watching on with all these scenes taking place here, these conversations uh, happening between them. We see Joseph recognising his brothers here, but they don't recognise him. Uh, We see all of Joseph's planning and testing as he carries this out on his brothers to see how genuine they are. Uh, We're also privy to this conversation within the brothers that they have amongst themselves, and we're aware that Joseph can understand what they're saying as well, even though they don't believe or don't think that Joseph can understand what they're saying. Uh, as, As I said, it's a part of the Bible you sort of can't put down. You sort of want to read to the next bit and the next bit and see what's taking place there. What is it? It's a massive story of broken relationships which leads back to restoration. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of sin. It's a story of guilt, sorrow, confession and repentance here in these four chapters. But ultimately, this is a story of God's undeserved grace to unworthy people who don't even come close to warranting this forgiveness. It's God who grants that in their lives. Here's a big idea for today as we think about that. It's this, God's forgiving and restoring grace works in our heart to be able to forgive others no matter how big the hurt is against us. 
God's forgiving and restoring grace works in our heart to be able to forgive others no matter how big the hurt is against us. Uh, first thing here is we begin to sort of track ourselves through this story. First thing we need to see here and acknowledge in God's grace here is that we are sinful. We are sinners. We are both the offenders and victims of sinful behaviour. We all carry out sinful actions towards each other. And we are also on the receiving end of sinful actions as well. There's not one person who sits in here or out there who doesn't fit that category. We've all offended people and we've all been on the victim side of that offence as well. Uh, In this broken relationship here between Joseph and his brothers, we probably see more of the victim side of Joseph through this story. Back in Genesis 37, Joseph is the bright-eyed boy of Jacob. He's the father's favourite. He's favoured and pampered on big time by Jacob here. Joseph gets all the goods and his special coat of many colours. We saw back there in uh, chapter 37. And the brothers, what do they get? They get the leftovers. They get the dodge jobs. He gets all the cream and they get all the hard stuff. So what do the brothers do? They build up this intense hatred for Joseph. So much so that the text actually says back there in Genesis 37, they can't find one good word to say about him. All that means is these guys dislike him intentionally. Let's just say they hate him. All they can think about him is demeaning, it's hateful, it's bitter and it's angry. That's the only thoughts they've got towards Joseph. This hatred boils over into desires now to actually want to murder Joseph. And that's their intention as he goes to Uh, check on them as they're tending the sheep uh, in Canaan. This intense desire of murder has now become a sinful desire that they want to carry out. It's sinful behaviour. But by God's overruling providence, they don't kill him. This is all part of God's plan to rescue and save Joseph and his family. He's sold as a slave into Egypt. Now, can I say this? Uh, Time hasn't changed anything, has it? It doesn't. We live in a world today that is still plagued with broken relationships. We have offenders still carrying out sinful actions. And we still have victims suffering the consequences of this sin as well. Somebody we supposedly love, and they love us, and yet we let bitterness and selfishness come in and inflict pain into that relationship. Just this week in Melbourne, I think it was early in the week, this young girl gets murdered by some guy who was infatuated with her. Uh, And here's just this brokenness that's happening. I don't get what I want in this relationship. I want something and you're not giving it to me. So therefore, because my agenda is now crossed, I'm going to create some havoc and pain in your life just to let you know how unhappy I am. Because you're not giving me what I want. You're not actually meeting my agenda. I want to make you feel my displeasure. So we inflict pain to people's lives, whether it's verbally or mentally or emotionally. I want my wants and desires to be met. Because me comes first in my life, it's all about me. So when this happens and we're crossed and we actually want to inflict pain on somebody, what do we do? We demean them. We belittle them. We mock them. And we cut people up with their words and actions. We cut them down to size to make us look bigger, better, more beautiful, more stronger than this other person who's not meeting my desires. These are broken relationships and it's just a result of selfish, sinful nature. This is what happens. 
we allow sinfulness to rise up in our hearts to inflict this havoc and pain upon others. Here's Joseph. He's the victim of this. And his brothers are the offenders of this sinful behaviour. All of us are in this story to some extent. Now, if we're ever going to see God's grace work in these broken relationships, which we all have to some extent, not only do we have to see the sense of we're sinful, we've also got to be owning up to guilt and remorse for what we've done as well. So what happens here in this story? The brothers come to Egypt to buy food because the famine is all over the world. It's not just in Egypt, it's actually all over the known world at that time. They stand before Joseph without recognising him, asking for food, as we saw in that first reading. And if you read the text as we did there, you see the brothers, as it were, bowing down before Joseph. Just go back to those dreams, and what have we seen in those dreams? They were actually bowing down to Joseph. It's actually a fulfilment of those dreams. Can you imagine what Joseph's thinking there at this point? He recognises them, they don't recognise him. What's going through Joseph's mind at this point? Here's those mongrels. They've finally turned up and they're bound down before me. Here's those cold-hearted brothers, the ones who left me in that pit, and here they are bowing down before me. I'm sure that probably flashed through his mind. He may not have used the word mongrel, that's probably more of an Aussie word, but I'm sure that thought flashed through his mind here at this point in time. Here's my chance to rub it in their face and to make them pay with some serious pain. We don't see that though, do we? By God's grace, Joseph doesn't respond like that. He does though devise a test, as it were, and I think the test there is to just see, is there any heart change with these brothers? Has anything changed over the 23 years since they abandoned me? Have their hearts softened somewhat? 23 years is a long time. Surely they've mellowed somewhat, but I'm not exactly sure. I think I'll test them. So what's he say? You're all spies. You've come to check out the land. you come to find our weak points so you can come and take all our food. He says that and he asks a whole heap of questions also, which may have been a bit of a hint to the brothers because he's asking about the father, another brother, Benjamin. And then he says this, if you bring back your younger brother, Benjamin, and show him to me, then I'll believe you're not spies. Well, they can't do that, can they? Because Benjamin is Jacob's new favourite son in that family. They can't do that. So they're put in jail for three days. They're confined, it says there in the scriptures, to think it over. What are we going to do, guys? How are we going to get ourselves out of this spot? They're they're reflecting on, on what's been said by Joseph, but they're also reflecting on a few other things as well. And it says this in 42.21. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. Now they're referring to Joseph when they say that. We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. What are they feeling? They're feeling guilty. Guilty over what they did to Joseph. And they're also feeling some remorse here and some sorrow as well at the same time. You see, these brothers, at this particular moment, they're reliving Joseph's cries for help from the bottom of that pit 
or as he hangs onto the bars of that slave caravan as it moves away. They're reliving Joseph crying out, Guys, help me! Please don't leave me like this! Please don't leave me in this caravan! Please help me! It's echoing back through their minds again. They left their brother in that caravan as it disappeared over the horizon. You see, to have God's grace work in our hearts, it's absolutely right that we feel guilt and sorrow for the hurts that we've caused. Absolutely right. You see, when we say belittling and and mocking words and cutting words to someone, we're actually inflicting hurtful actions upon them and we are crushing them with our words or with our actions. We're bringing like emotional or mental pain and sometimes even physical pain when we allow it to go too far. I imagine how would Joseph have felt as the slave trader's caravan, as he's hanging on those bars, slowly rolls away and he sees the, the images of his brothers disappear. What did he feel? He felt crushed. He felt grief. He felt pain. What's going to come of me? You see, we as offenders should feel a godly grief and sorrow for the pain that we have caused others. It's only right that we should feel that. You see, only a hard heart can be so callous as to cause hurt and pain and offence to others and just walk away and feel nothing. That's a hard, calloused heart that can do that. What that is a picture of is a sin-laden heart, a heart that's in rebellion before God that can feel no remorse or feel no guilt. That's a hard and sensitive heart. You see, guilt and shame for what we've done brings us to own up to our sinful actions and to take responsibility for them. It begins to weigh upon us in a complex of guilt, in a complex of sorrow, It's a real awareness, I've done something wrong. I've hurt somebody. Further though, for God's grace to work in these broken relationships, as we see here with Joseph and his brothers, guilt and remorse must lead to something else. It can't just be staying here at guilt and remorse. I'm feeling guilty and remorseful. It's got to go another level. And the next level is repentance. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It can't just stay at that feeling level. Something's got to be triggered to change. So what does Joseph do in this story here? He does allow the brothers to go back to Canaan, but he keeps Simeon. He keeps one back in jail. A bit like a surety, you will be coming back. Well, that's probably part of a test too. Are you going to abandon Simeon like you abandoned me 23 years ago? Keeps one in jail until they bring Benjamin back. Now, again, a year and a half goes by here. Sometimes you read the Bible, like I said last week, and think, does this happen like next week? No, this is like 18 months later. They run out of food again during this really long famine, and Jacob, the father, says, hey, guys, you need to go back and get more food. And the brothers say, hey, we can't go back unless Benjamin comes with us. We know what the bloke in Egypt said. He said, don't bother coming back unless you bring Benjamin with you. Although it's breaking his heart, Jacob relents. Okay, we need food. Benjamin, he's got to go, but guys, you've got to bring him back. Don't lose him. So they take him, they arrive back in Egypt, and they're invited to Joseph's home for a feast. 
You can see we're sort of tracking through quickly on these passages here. Uh, they're probably thinking this is good. Gee, okay, we're going to this guy's place for a feast. Maybe things are going to be right. And they've got Benjamin with them. All seems to be going well. Benjamin's met Joseph. They have their bags all filled up with grain, ready to go back to Canaan to sort of get food for the family and get things organised again. But as you read through those chapters, Joseph plants his special silver cup in Benjamin's sack of grain. They load up their donkeys and they get going out of uh, the uh, out of Egypt and they get about ooh, not too far out. And Joseph put this little test in place. They barely get out of the city. And what does Joseph do? He sends the police out. Sends them out to say, hey, you guys have got my silver cup. And they're like, no, not us. We're honest people. We wouldn't do that. But they don't realise that Joseph planted one. So one by one, they're checked for this silver cup in their bags of grain. Starting with the oldest and working down to the youngest. Every bag comes up empty. You can feel the suspense building in this story. It's empty, empty, empty. Get to the youngest one. This is Benjamin. This is the special one. He's got the silver cup in his bag of grain. Here's a dilemma. Here's a major test now for these brothers. What will they do? They can easily let Benjamin just go back and be in prison in Egypt and they can actually get back on their donkeys and just keep going to Canaan and just explain to Jacob, hey, Dad, Benjamin stole the cup and he had to, he had to pay the price for it. It wasn't their fault after all. It was Benjamin who kept this cup. Got a bit of a dilemma here now. We've got a test upon them. You know, tempting. Maybe they can now get rid of the new favourite son just like they got rid of their other favourite son 23 years ago. It's like a similar test rolling through again. So the question is, what will these brothers do? Has their heart changed? Have they softened? Is there anything different here now of these guys? Let's see their response in Genesis 44:13. We see this. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. They tore their clothes. That expression there, they tore their clothes, is actually an outpouring of grief and sorrow. They're not sitting on the donkeys clapping their hands thinking they got rid of the favourite son. They tore their clothes because they are filled with grief and sorrow. These brothers are now broken-hearted over Benjamin. They can't bear to leave and abandon him like this. These brothers' hearts are now knitted together with their father Jacob and also with their brother Benjamin. They're staying with Benjamin no matter what. Wherever he goes, if he's going back, we're all going back. What do they do? They get back to Joseph's home. They plead their case plead their case. They fall on the ground as a way with humble hearts. I can see all 10 of these brothers, 11 of these brothers now pleading for mercy. Take us, if you're going to take Benjamin, take us all. Take us all. Joseph says, no. No. I'm not taking... Benjamin's the guilty party. He took the silver cup. He pays the price. You guys can all go. He's sort of ramping the test up here and really putting the acid on him. Judah steps up, the fourth oldest brother here, and speaks up with this really impassioned plea here. And you find it in the back half of uh, Genesis 44. And it's a plea of mercy, as it were, on behalf of Benjamin. It's a real indication here of a changed heart. He goes on to say that he's taken full responsibility to bring Benjamin back to his father Jacob. We're going to pick up the last few verses here in verses 32 and 34 as we 
hear these closing words of Judah. He says this, For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Can you feel the intensity there in Judah's voice and heart? If you follow that story through and you pick up this long impassioned plea of Judah here, that's what you see. You see an impassioned plea for mercy on behalf of Benjamin. You actually can see here a changed heart within all these brothers at this particular time. Really what's happened, it's like a rewind of back 23 years ago. Joseph is in the slave trader's cage here, pleading for mercy to these callous, hard-hearted brothers. Please get me out of this caravan. But there's no reply from those brothers back then. But here's now Judah on behalf of the brothers, pleading Can you have mercy on us? It's a total relive of 23 years ago. There's a definite heart change here. They're not abandoning Benjamin. Their hearts have changed. They've softened. They've mellowed by God's grace through their life. 23 years ago they abandoned. Today, it's a totally opposite course of action. You see, true godly guilt and sorrow must lead to a change of heart. It must lead to a change of heart. You see, when we've hurt somebody with our words or with our actions, and God's grace is working through that in repentance, it should cause us to see that person in a whole new light that we've offended. We should see them in a whole new perspective. They're not some object that I can take my frustration out or I can just vent my steam upon in angry words or angry actions. I see them as a whole new person. They're a person made in the image of God. And true repentance flows out of godly sorrow and godly guilt. It sees this person that I'm wanting to inflict hurt upon. Actually, they're a broken person just like me. And who am I to go and dump all my garbage on them? Instead, I should be loving these people, encouraging these people and caring for these people, not trying to see them battered and bruised by my words or actions. Repentance truly follows godly sorrow and guilt. And you see, when all these actions together, ownership of sin, yep, that's me, guilt and sorrow... I'm feeling the guilt, I'm feeling the sorrow, and now repentance is working together in God's grace here. What this can bear is the beautiful fruits of restoration and forgiveness. And I believe here with Joseph, there's a strong indication that he had forgiven these guys at the very first meeting as we see this grace working in his heart. Not verbally, he didn't obviously because he was, had a bit of a test of their genuineness, but in his heart... I believe he'd certainly forgiven them. If you look in Genesis 42, 23 and 24 there, you see this sort of this first meeting when they see each other. And you'll see there's an interpreter between them in the first, a couple of verses before that. 
He doesn't need an interpreter because they're thinking, oh, hang on, you guys are Hebrews. Um, Joseph, you're an Egyptian. We need someone about to interpret the language. He knows exactly what they're saying. And you pick it up in verse 24, and what do we see there? Joseph has to leave the room. Why does he have to leave the room? Because emotions are overwhelming in him. He's not angry and bitter towards these guys. He's actually weeping with compassion. There's a soft heart here in Joseph towards his brothers. Look again in 43.30. He sees Benjamin amongst his brothers for the first time. And it says there in that verse, his compassion grew warm within him. He entered into his chamber and what did he do as he left that room quickly? Sounds like he ran out of the room. He's gone into his private room somewhere and he has bawled his eyes out. Bawled his eyes out. Why? Because he loves these guys. He's not angry and bitter at them at this point in time. Maybe some of that might have passed through him from time to time, but at this point in time, with God's grace in his heart, he's filled with compassion. He's bawling his eyes out as he sees these brothers. He throws a massive feast for them in verses 31 and 34. It's just like this uh, amazing thing he's about to do. And still at this point, there's no signs here of bitterness or resentment at all. And let's think about what he could have done if he wanted to. He could have executed these guys on the spot. That's the sort of power that Joseph had in Egypt. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Now, I'm sure he would look back over his life and he would relive the moment they are lowering him into that pit. He would relive the moment those uh, Midianite slave traders grab him and put shackles around his hands and feet and put him up in that slave trader's caravan. He would relive that and just see his brothers like 10 metres away counting their 20 pieces of silver they got as they actually sold him to the slave traders. He He would relive all of that. So forgiveness wouldn't be easy. Actually, you can't undo that painful hurt, as it were. You can't undo those scars that take place. You can't undo the past feelings of the hurt that people do to us. You can't undo that, but what you can do is you can change the way you deal with those feelings going forward into the future. You can't erase what's taken place, but you can change the way you deal with those feelings going forward into the future. That's what God's grace does. So let's look at this beautiful fruit of restoration here in Genesis 45, 1-5. After Judah's impassioned plea, Joseph makes everybody leave the room except his brothers. And what does he do? He bursts out with tears. He can't control himself any longer. He bursts out with his identity. It's me. I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. Wouldn't you have loved to be in that room? Wouldn't you love to be just sitting in the corner just to see all that begin to just unfold? This massive reveal here taking place. Wouldn't you love to see the looks on Joseph's brother's faces as they're trying to take all this in? We're told on the text there, it says dismay, but what it means is they're speechless. They don't know what to say. And I sort of get that too. You wouldn't know what to say. This is the guy we put in that pit 23 years ago. And we've been dealing with him for the last 18 months. And he's been taking us along this journey for the last... 
What do we say? But follow on, a few, just a few minutes later, verses 14, 15, this is one of the times the Bible does go very quickly. What do we see there? We see tears and we see hugs all round. This is a beautiful picture here of God's restorative grace working through forgiveness and repentance. It's a glorious picture here of the power of the gospel. How is this sort of forgiveness possible? How can you go from being hated and abandoned by all your brothers and then how can you now turn around and forgive that mountain of pain? How does that happen? How does that work? How can the brothers not even recognising Joseph through all of this because they didn't, how can you see them begin to own up to their sinful action as this begins to unfold through these three chapters and feel the grief and the sorrow of all that and now repent and change their heart and change their mind? How's this possible? Can't be done in our own strength because we see that working in our own lives and other people's lives. I'll never talk to him for the rest of my days. And they don't. But how's it possible here? How does this take place? Well, the name God is mentioned 11 times in these four chapters. Again, this narrative isn't all about Joseph and isn't all about his brothers. This story here is all about God and his workings in and through their lives. And Joseph mentions God here in chapter 42, verse 18, and he says there, he fears God. What does that mean? He reverences and worships God as the supreme being in his life, as his God, as his creator, as his life giver. God comes first and foremost in Joseph's life here. God is the power and the motivation for forgiveness in Joseph's life. If there's no God in his life, there's no forgiveness in his life. God Almighty is working in Joseph and his brothers for this forgiveness. Not only for this forgiveness, God is working in their hearts to change their hearts as well and blessing these guys with the fruits here of restoration and repentance as they submit themselves to God. Today for us in 2020, we sit here as spectators reading this and it's a glorious story to read of God's grace working there. But in comparison to Joseph, we have got a mightier and greater revelation of God than what Joseph had. Now, Joseph's got a good revelation of who God is, but we've got a much deeper one. It's the same God that we're worshipping here in this Bible, but we are blessed today with a clearer and deeper understanding of who he is and how he works and what he's done for us. That revelation comes through Jesus Christ, God's only son. And the power of his gospel works in hearts for forgiveness. I come across this story here the other day, and I'll close with this story. As, uh, as we think about this. It was a picture here of the gospel work in somebody's heart for forgiveness. It's set in the Korean War back in the 1950s, and here it is. Uh, during the Korean War, a South Korean Christian, a civilian, was arrested by the communist and ordered shot. But when the young communist leader learned that the prisoner was in charge of an orphanage caring for small children, he decided to spare him and kill his son instead. So they shot his 19-year-old son in the presence of his father. Later, the fortunes of war changed and the young communist leader was captured by the United Nations forces, tried and condemned to death. But before the sentence could be carried out, the Christian, whose boy had been killed, 
pleaded for the life of the killer. He declared that he was young and that he really did not know what he was doing. Give him to me, said the father, and I'll train him. The United Nations forces granted that request. And that father took the murderer of his own son into his own home and cared for him. Today, that young communist is a Christian pastor. What a glorious story of the power of the gospel working in hearts to forgive. Who would want to forgive somebody who's gone and killed your own son right before your eyes? It's only Christ who can do that. Who have you hurt today? Who have you cut up with your words or unkind actions? Who have you offended? Who have you tried to cut down just to make yourself bigger and inflict pain upon other people? Who do you need to confess that to and ask for their forgiveness for the way you've treated them, for the words that you've said to them? Or what bitterness and resentment are you holding on to that you're unwilling to forgive somebody who's actually asking for that forgiveness? What are you holding on to in your heart that you won't let go, that you want to hold this bitterness and resentment for? Forgiveness and restoration. It's the grace and the mercy of God that's available to us through Jesus Christ. It's for our healing and it's for the reconciling of our relationships for the glory of God. We don't have to be bound up by unforgiveness. We don't have to be bound up by anger or bitterness or resentment. We can allow the Holy Spirit to work through the gospel to work in our hearts to forgive and to ask for forgiveness as well. Let's pray. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 